Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Uh, and hello to those who are joining asynchronously on the Temple Beth Am podcast network. We are in the last few verses of, uh, of, of content interest and the last few verses of the first Aliyah of Parshat Be'era. And after that, we'll get a rather, um, well, not so long, but we'll get a genealogy we'll, where we're going to read through it and we'll, we'll look for things to investigate, but it's not going to be a whole lot of content to, un- to uncover. And you, as you can expect, Rashi is going to be rather quiet. But the last comment that Rashi is going to make before we get to that, which we may or may not get to today, will be Rashi's explaining why he thinks the genealogy that's about to come is there. Um, but I have us on um, verse 12. Um, uh, we finished that long Rashi in verse 9. I think we read verses 10 and 11 last week. There are no Rashi's on verse 10 or 11. Does everyone agree that we actually read verses 10 and 11 last week? I think we did, right? Okay. Let, let, let me read verse. Let me read them quickly again to get going, and then we'll assign a reader for verse 12. Verse 10 of chapter 6, by Deber Adonai Moshele Mor, um, as I think we discussed last time, this is the first time we're seeing that uh, very common six-forward uh, phrase that God spoke to Moses saying, Bo Deber, go and speak, El or come and speak, El Paro Melech Mitzrayim, to the to Pharaoh king of Egypt, Vi Shalach et B'nei Yisrael Meratso. We looked at several different translations. So that he will send, that he will send, is it a prediction, is it a command? Um, the form of vishalach we, we determined was a jussive form, almost like a third person imperative. Um, go speak to him such that the result of your having spoken to him will be that he will uh, release the people of Israel from his land. And that brings us to verse 12. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Rick, do you want to read verse 12 for us? My voice is kind of gone. I've been coughing. I've got the RSV. I'm, I'm getting past the RSV. Oh no! Yeah, but it's okay. Is it RSV was it was fever and coughing and headache, but I'm I'm just coughing now. I'm Thank sorry you. to hear that, Rick. I, I hope RSVB is not transmittable through Zoom. I know it's it's a very it's a very ornery virus, but um, uh, feel feel better, Rick. That's yeah. Hey, thanks, uh, Rebecca. Would you like to read verse twelve? Okay. Vayidaber Moshe Lemor. Hain bene Yisrael lo shamu elai veech yishmaeni faro veani aral sfatain. And Moses said uh, before God, saying, he spoke before God, saying, um, Behold, the children of Israel uh, have not listened to me. How then should Pharaoh listen to me or hear me? And I am of uncircumcised lips, and I am who I, who I it's a question. Me of and I have uncircumcised lips. Right. So 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 excellent translation. And let's linger on a bit because the words here you you rendered perfectly. And the question is, what's the what, what's the substance and the tone of what we're supposed to hear in Moshe's response back to God? Um, reminiscent, of course, of the burning bush, where God originally gives Moshe the, 
the task, and Moshe is reticent and says, Lo ish dvarim anochi, I'm not a man of words. And here, there seem to, seems to be something a little more precise, right? So Mo Moses spoke before God saying, behold, the children of Israel have not listened to me. When did they not listen to him? What's, this, what's, what's the antecedent to this? Do we have a scene where they did not listen to him? When they were, before they left Egypt. Well, they're still in left Egypt. They didn't Let's believe give, uh, him. Pass the mic around. In verse 9, it says, So Moses spoke accordingly to the children of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Right. So the, just the last verse that we read, or the last week, was God having heard from Moses the testimony that Moses, what Moses was supposed to say to the Israelites, which is basically, follow me, they weren't able to pay attention to because of the, the shortness of breath, the shortness of spirit, and the, and the hard work upon them. Hold on, I'm going to sneeze. Rick, I think I'm catching it from you. Um, so it's either a reference to that, that's the immediate antecedent, or remember that um, the last time that Moses brought information from God, um, that, th that, that, that things were going to get better and things got worse and they complained to Moses. So there's several places, some explicitly, some implicitly, where Moses' communication from God to the Israelites didn't penetrate. Okay, so now in our verse, Moses says, you know, after all, God, the children of Israel did not listen to me. How do we understand, I don't know, the logical force of the second phrase? How will Pharaoh listen to me and I am uh, I'm circumcised of lips? And my question on the question is, are those two ideas? Are those two questions? Is it one long question? Is the I am uncircumcised of lips re referring both to the incredulity that Pharaoh will listen to me? Or is it also going back to why the Israelites would not listen to me? And I don't have answers to these questions. I'm actually asking you. right? So how are we supposed to put together the, the, like the, the, the logical um, impact of what Moses is saying. Rebecca's right that he's asking it as a question. It's hard to know if it's a rhetorical question or not, right? Is he saying to God, well, what do you, how can you expect Pharaoh to listen to me if they didn't listen to me? Or is he really saying, Pharaoh, they didn't listen to me, so please tell me how can I make Pharaoh listen to me? You know that I have a speech impediment, right? So it's unclear what the tone is. I'm curious of what people think. Uh, I think Alan, if he's saying that his own people aren't going to listen to him, his, his own people, how on earth would Pharaoh listen if his own people aren't even listening? Right. What would we call that kind of an argument, either in, in American legal language or in Talmudic Hebrew language? Kava Homer. Kava Homer literally means the, 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 the easy, sim simple, and the hard, right? That you, something that is true in an easy situation, you can infer that it would also be true in a hard situation or vice versa. In, in uh, American legal, it's a fortiori, right? I hear, I've always heard it's a fortiori. That, okay. So that you can, um, you know, it's like uh, if, if the, the classic argument is that if I don't let my, you know, you're, you're arguing with your child, you know, who wants a later bedtime, you know, your 15 year old sibling has to go to sleep by 10. So I'm certainly not letting you stay up till 11, right? So you, we all understand the logic of that. So what Renee is saying, this is an a fortiori Kavachoma argument. Hey, God, you're, I haven't even succeeded at the easier task of, of being heard by the Israelites. How do you expect me to succeed in the harder task? 
Now, let's assume for the moment, it's not the only way of reading it, that it is a Kalbachomer argument. What, what is the logic of the Kalbachomer argument? How is that indeed a logical inference that if he can't be understood by the Israelites, how is he going to be understood by, the, by Pharaoh? Like why, why is that a reasonable argument? If, if, you can't, if you can't convince your friends, you're the people that you're entrusted to, how can you expect to have this leader who has all this power over you and controls what's going on? If you can't do it with the friendly people, presumably whom you are leading, how can you do it with the ruler who has such control over you? Good. Now, in that argument, Alan, you sort of, you, you combine slash conflated two arguments that you could separate. It could be if you can't convince your friends, how are you going to convince your enemies? If you can't, if I can't convince those who are powerless and, and, and who are <laughs> desperate to listen, how am I going to convince the powerful, right? Those could be two different ideas. Um, any other ways in which we can understand the logic of the Kavachomer, if it's a Kavachomer, Joel? Well, sort of what, what Alan said, or what you said. Uh, if I can't convince people that it's good for them, that they want to hear this, how am I going to convince somebody that's going to be, the results are going to be detrimental to them? Good. For those on Zoom, how irritating is it that you can't see when someone around the table is speaking? Because if, if it's very irritating, I will try to pull up my phone and then turn it to that person. Or is it really okay? It's okay with me. I know what they look like. Okay. okay. You basically, you'd actually like a break from seeing them, right? I was just, like I was just going to say that we know what they look like. Please leave them off. I thought you were going to say, like, it depends on who's talking. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Okay, now let's let's split further. Is there another way of reading um, Moshe's line that is not a kalvachomer? That's that he's not comparing um, uh, not being heard by the Israelites to not being heard by Egypt, by the Egyptians or by Pharaoh. And a, and then the second question: Do you imagine the the notion that I am uncircumcised of lips? And we don't worry; we'll linger on what that phrase means in a second. Does that, which part of the previous part of the verse is that referring to? Is it just the Egypt, just the Pharaoh, or is it the Israelites? While you're, while you're uh, thinking about that, I'm going to refill my coffee. You can ask a question on the question. Well, you could say, you know, I wasn't very good in dress rehearsal. How am I going to, you know, what makes you think I'm going to do any better during the final performance? After all, I suck at speaking. Good. So, Joel, you're kind of combining the Kalva Homer with that last phrase, right? Like, however you set up the Kalva Homer, I didn't succeed in the easier situation. How can you expect me to succeed in a harder situation, given the fact that this is not even something I'm good at, right? If this were something I were good at, maybe I could rise to the occasion, right? But since you're actually, ask, actually asking me to climb a higher mountain, and I'm a terrible mountain climber, that's a terrible thing to ask. Okay, uh, Tova, let's get the uh, mic to Tova. Rebecca and Leonard, are you in the same house and different Zooms? Oh, okay. I was thinking, you know, <laughs> where I, I recognize Leonard, where Leonard is. Where are you, Rebecca? I'm uh, at our house in Canoga Park. Oh, got it. Okay. When Carl and I are on, we're Good. usually in, in different places in the house. So Got it. Okay. It's not, not unprecedented. Um, I'm wondering if you're saying, how could it not be a 
Talva Omer. Yeah. Um, if what he's saying is, look, the children of Israel didn't even listen to me. Therefore, in a sense, what I'm bringing to you is irrelevant because they're not interested. Uh -huh. Then why should you listen to me? So it's that having occurred. Good. You know, so you're reading it less as a as a logical argument, more of like a consequential one, right? I I haven't convinced the people on whose behalf I should go to Pharaoh to come with me. So why should I even go to Pharaoh, right? Good. So that's that's different than a Kavachomer, and that's a lovely way of reading it. Um, and and that that read though does make it challenging to figure out what the impact of his uncircumcised lips are. But um, but I like that I like that it's a different read. Um, anyone else on what just the shot of verse means? Marshall, I'm sorry about that. We have to get, get the microphones. Uh, I just wanted to read two translations of it. First off of Safaria. Um, first one is, um, but Moses appealed to Adonai saying, the Israelites would not listen to me, semicolon. How then should Pharaoh heed me, heed me, me, who gets tongue-tied. This is on Safaria? This is in Safaria, yeah. That's surprising because that's, Safaria is usually JPS, and that sounds like a very un-JPS translation. That's interesting, okay. Yeah. But was, was it the standard English on Safari, or was it a different translation? Uh, I want to look at that. I'm not it, sure. I'm not sure. Hold on. Um, oh, you're right. I wonder if that's JPS. There it is right here. Yeah. Me who gets tongue-tied. That's so, that's a. Uh, it's almost like an R. E. A. Kaplan translation rather than a JPS. Usually very tight and 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 academic, and this is very colloquial. Okay. And the second one is uh, Everett Fox's. Moshe spoke before Adonai, comma saying, "Here." And then in uh, brackets, if the children of Israel do not hearken to me. And by the way, just to be clear, the word if is the one that's in brackets. So right. in Everfox's translation, he's inserting an if to make it even clearer that he thinks it's a Kalvachomer. How will Pharaoh listen to me, hearken to me, question mark? And then he said, and I am of four-skinned lips. Yeah, it's my, one of my favorite Everfox translations of the Torah, because he's using English to connect, like, Arel with Arel, right? Because uh, as, as we'll see in a moment through Rashi, that's what Arel means. We often try translate as uncircumcised, but he says, and rather than translate it with a negative, uncircumcised, translate it with an adjective that I think he made up. I've never seen the adjective foreskinned before, right? But that's what it's saying, right? So let's just go there, right? You know, f fleshy and, and, and clumsy, um, uh, parts of the body that are not as free of encumbrances as they otherwise might be. Foreskinned, okay? Good. Um, anything else on the verse where we look at Rashi? Any other way of understanding Arel Sfatayim? And if you're wondering, you know, or if your mind is associating other uses of Arel, we're going to get there. Rashi is going to bring us lots of places where that root Ayin Reish Lamed uh, is used both in terms of the lip, the heart, the genital, genital organ, and also agriculture. Okay, you may be aware of the mitzvah of orla, which um, is from the same root. Okay, uh, Rebecca, you were reading. Will you start reading the Rashi? The ich yishma'eni faro. Oh, 
Okay, good. So before you start doing that, there is a um, there are different versions of Rashi where the where the comment you're about to read for some reason comes at the end of the Rashi comment on this verse. Some of you may have that. So if you're wondering why Rebecca's reading that, in some versions of Rashi, this comment comes before the one about Arel's Fatayim, and in some it comes after. So since you're reading from that one, we'll do that one. But it should be in your Rashi. It might be the second comment on the verse, not the first comment on the verse. Hmm. Okay. Uh, this is one of the 10, one of the 10 instances. Uh, easy and hard in the Torah or light and heavy, or I see Safaria says minor to major. <laughs> right. So Rashi, who again is not a Talmudist, but obviously knows Talmudic literature nearly by heart, is now telling us that the Talmudic reasoning that is all over the place in Midrash, we have examples of it in the Torah explicitly. And this is one of 10 places, according to Rashi, in the Torah, where the Torah itself lays out a line of reasoning that's going to become you know, very central to Jewish reasoning for millennia. I want to show you um, one more. Uh, just it might be familiar. Hold on. Okay, this is another place where, where um, Rashi makes a similar comment. This is in the Joseph story. Uh, go back to verse 44.7. They said to him, him being Joseph, who doesn't, hasn't revealed himself to them yet, the brothers, why are you going to say that? Speak to us. There's no way that your servants would do the thing that you said. What's the thing? Steal the cup, right? And that this is still in the voice of the brothers. After all, person that we don't yet know is Joseph. The silver that we found in our packs when you sent us back, and all of a sudden we realized there was more money in than there was supposed to be, the extra, we brought back to you the, the, the gift that you actually wanted to give to us. Merit's Kanan. How could you expect us to steal something that you did not expect to give to us when we returned the thing that you did give to us? And on that, Rashi says, right here, same thing. This is one of the 10 places where we have an explicit a fortiori argument, and they are all explained in this um, little chapter of Breshit Rabbah. And if we're doing a Midrash class, we could go in there. Um, so that's just one of the other places. I don't remember the other 10 offhand. It actually could be fun. Should we take a look? In Tanakh? Oh, it's funny because you said this, the, the Torah here is in, in the entire Tanakh rather than just yeah, in the Torah. Torah. Yeah, so if we look at yeah, this. It's, it's, uh, Genesis, I don't know the exact uh, books. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Was it from the Torah and Samuel? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear people. I'm sorry. <laughs> Microphone. Don't worry, we're, we're, we're fixing that. Don't worry. Sorry about that. The, the 10 uh, listed, I'm not going to give you the exact references in the books themselves, but one in Genesis, one in Exodus, one in Numbers, one in Deuteronomy, those are the four in the Torah. 
one in Samuel, two in Jeremiah, one in Ezekiel, one in Proverbs, and one in Esther. Rashid Rabbah. In the footnote. In... Yeah. And if you look at the screen, can you all see the screen? So this is the original Midrash, Rashid Rabbah, um, chapter 92. Um, and it's a teaching of Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael, you may re remember, is the person to whom is attributed the 13 hermeneutic principles by which Torah is midrashed. We say it every morning within the first four minutes of being in shul, so probably none of you have ever heard that in your life. <laughs> just, I'll just let that as a mic drop. Um, right, right before the first Kaddish Rabbanan, we have the 13 principles, and the last one, and one of them is Kal Homer. So Rabbi Yishmael, who is this um, technician when it comes to midrash, has counted that there are 10 Kal Homer arguments. The one we just we're looking at right now, that's um, from um, um, Breshid, from uh, Breshid, the one that's, that we're looking at in our section from Exodus. There's one in Numbers here, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, the same thing that um, Elon just said, okay? So I wanted to show you that. Um, anything else you wanna say on, uh, on that? I think there was a Gur Aryeh I wanted to bring up. Let me see if I can it up. Um, why did I want to bring the Gur Arye? Uh, no, hold on. Yeah, okay, so let me just share this. Um, I knew there was a reason. So the Gur Arye, to remind you, is a super commentary in Rashi written by the Maharal of Prague. Um, and he's going to explain in his language that which we've already brought out, which is in what way this is indeed a Kalva Homer. So this is Gur Arye and Rashi's phrase, Shehu Achad Min Asara Kalva Homer, Perush. The explanation of the logic is, Ma Yisrael, just as Israel, Shehu Latobatam, Lo Shamuli. It's slightly different than the way you phrased it, Alan. If Israel, whom I was speaking to them for their benefit, they were, they were going to derive benefit from listening to me. If they wouldn't listen to me with good news, paro why would you expect, God, that Pharaoh is going to listen to my threatening of him, right? It's one thing, like you're more likely to pay attention if someone is giving you something as something is taking you away, right? So it's not power or lack of power. It's not enemy friend from Gur'ari's perspective. It's and this is something actually worth thinking about. It's, is it, it's more easy to communicate to someone who assumes that your communication with them is for their benefit, right? I've, I've experienced this every day, right? Like, you know, uh, when you have to, I don't know, um, give feedback to an employee. I, to this day, I'm a pretty experienced professional. I do not speak as fluidly and as calmly and as confidently when I'm sharing something with someone that I know they're not going to want to hear, than when I'm sharing something with someone that I know they're going to hear, they're going to want to hear. So that's how the Gur Aryeh teases out the logic of this. Right? Just for example. Okay. Uh, good. Um, all right. Anything else in the Kavachom before we go into circumcisions? I need to circumcise my hair looking at the looking at my self in the mirror in the video here. There's like a little tuft that won't, doesn't want to go anywhere. I need a, I need a, I need a hair moil. Okay. Um, uh, Rebecca. It's cute. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> That's why I keep you around. 
All right. All I wasn't well. even fishing for that compliment, but I'll take it. Looks you. like Dagwood. Like what? <laughs> like Dagwood. Oh, but Dagwood. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dagwood and Blondie. All right. Aral Sifatayim. Well, well, we did have the comic book, uh, you know, photo. So yeah, we're in comic book mode <laughs> of our class. You got to teach me how to do that, Rebecca. I couldn't. Where, where did you? Was that on your? Uh, the how only. Did you do that. Yeah, the only way I know how to uh, uh, do that effect is um, if you're going to text the photo to somebody, then you can do it when you take the photo. Rebecca took a, a picture of us on Cholamoid Sukkot when we came back to study in person, and then she sent it to me, comic bookized, and it was a beautiful picture. It was like the there's an app or there's a thing in, in the phone that renders a picture as if it was a comic book. It was magnificent. It became artwork. It was just, a, it, was just it was a picture. It wasn't an amazing picture, but it, I wonder if I could bring it up. Yeah, I love. Uh, Show it to us. Let us I love see. that oh, mode. Oh, I'll, oh. I'll write out the instructions how Did to do it. you text it, Rebecca? I'm was sorry? Was that a text to me or an email? Do you remember? Uh, it was a text. Um, there it is. Okay. Yeah, it makes, I love taking things in that mode. It makes a beautiful, uh, it's just- Can you all see that? Very interesting. I know it's not that big. Um, how do I make it bigger? God, I, I would love to learn how to use a computer. Yeah, it's not working. Mm -hmm. But you can see, if you, you maybe see it better on the, um, on, the, on the small screens, but it's a nice picture, but it got turned into a comic book. I can show it to you all up close later. Um, Really nicely done. Okay, uh, Rebecca. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now for something completely different. Exactly. Aral sifatayim, atum sifatayim. Okay. So the first thing he does is just translates a word that is that is harder to understand to a word that, at least according to Rashi, is easy to understand. Speaking about kavachomer, he's not going to use a harder word to render it. He's going to use an easy word. So to Rashi's understanding of Hebrew which may or may not be our understanding of Hebrew, in 11th century France, the adjective atum was easier to understand than the adjective aral. aral. Anyone know what atum means? Stuffed. Stuffed. I'm not allowing anything in. Blocked, right? Not blocked, not stuffed, okay. blocked. Blocked, yeah. You have, a, you, uh, Sue, Sue says stuck. My first... Uh, and I've shared this before, my first um, association with this adjective comes from January 1991. When I was in Israel for uh, my gap year in Ativ, and Saddam Hussein started sending Scud missiles to Israel, and we did not know if they were or were not tipped with chemical weapons, and we were all handed out a gas mask, and in every apartment and dwelling and dorm in Israel, one room was designated the Cheder Atum, the sealed room, right? So we had a room at the Beit Nativ where the, the windows were double sealed and, and there was even things underneath the door like to protect so that no air could come in. And we knew that the first time we got an alarm and I remember exactly the night it was, we'd have to go in there with our gas mask and sit in the floor in a sealed room. And it was terrifying because we didn't, you know, we, we learned soon afterwards that those scud missiles, not that they were nothing, they were not tipped with anything that were going to um, spread chemical weapons, but we didn't know that. And I still have my gas mask. Um, 
And that was a part of the experience in January 1991. I've given a sermon about the following thing because um, the word atum, which was a terrifying word in January 1991, became an extraordinary word in November of 1991, November or late October, because nine months later, there was a birth, there was, there was a, how do you call it, a, um, a baby boom in Israel because adults were up in the middle of the night in a cheder atum. And so there became a, mi a, a mini generation of what were called yiladei atum. Why was it interesting? Previous to that, and this is not a nice thing to say because Hebrew is not always nice, the phrase yeled atum existed. It meant um, a child who was not a non-achiever, who may have been mentally disabled. They were a blocked child. Right, like uh, you know, some of the ways in which language used to not be so polite when it came to people's challenges. Right, that was just it wasn't an insult. It's just a common Hebrew way to refer to someone who is developmentally disabled. They were a yelled atum. In October, November, nineteen ninety one, a yelled atum was a child conceived in a cheder atum, and I, I always thought that was an interesting transformation. Uh, Leonard is raising two hands: a digital hand and a real hand. I am, because I thought you'd like to know that in the dictionary, there's a word etum, same letters, which means impregnating. Really? From the PL, le'atem is to impregnate? Because uh, etum is the gerun, then it's from the PL, le'atem. It's modern Hebrew, new Hebrew, and it means either cocking or impregnating. Cocking? Like C-A-U-L-K? Yeah, so that would be the sealing off part. Well, that's a that's a heck of a metaphor for uh, intercourse, <laughs> caulking. Uh, Elon, thank you for that. I think. Yeah, this is back to Atum. Uh, <laughs> uh, I lived in Israel when I was thirteen for a year, and, and I remember uh, distinctly one of the biggest insults you could say to somebody was "Is Atum," which was really? the equivalent of uh, to use of, of of retard. Right? Obviously, you would never use retard today. Um, I would assume that you would never use Atum today in that context, but it, mm. it, it is amazing how language changes over time. Yeah, and, 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 and transform black to white, right? Like the same phrase. Were you on, like, father on a sabbatical that year? What year was that, Elon? Okay, so Elon, you were living in Israel 74 to 75? I was living in Israel 74 to 75 because my pet and so was so was I knew you looked familiar when I met you. Where were you that year? Uh, we were in Netanya. I went to Itamar Ben Avi. Wow. Um, and uh, I learned how to curse fluently in many languages because all the Olim who didn't speak Hebrew, of course, when you were third, when you were a 13 year old boy, that was wow. important to understand. So I could curse fluently in uh, Gruzini, which is Georgian, <laughs> in Russian, obviously in Hebrew and Arabic was wow. quite useful. <laughs> that 74, my father just finished um, his uh, army service on a base in Missouri, where I lived the first two years of my life. And then my parents moved to Israel for the year, kind of, they didn't declare Aliyah, but it was like an attempt at Aliyah. And we lived in French Hill in Jerusalem. I was two and went to Gan. And according to my Gan Nenet, I spoke perfect Hebrew with a Hungarian accent and no one understood why and we to this day uh, and my sister was in kindergarten and the way my parents described it it was a great year but it was really hard to make Aliyah in the early 70s my father was a psychiatrist working at Hadassah 
made like one third of bupkis. Like they just couldn't pay their bills as a psychiatrist. Did you have a phone? Could we did not? I don't know if we had a phone. You couldn't. Yeah, it was hard. The, it was the wait list time. for a phone back then was long. Correct. So um, back then, the bus drivers made more than physicians. Yeah. The exit so bus drivers. It kind of anchored, you know, Israel and our family as a place to constantly go back to. And I think my mother to this day regrets more than a little bit that they didn't stay. Um, but it was different. It was New York. My parents, my parents' parents from New York, and New York just felt farther from Israel than it does today. It just does. Right? Uh, I see Renee's hand. I see Rick's hand. Mentioned, or, I mean, it seems related that today, I mean, even in speak, speaking, spoken Hebrew, people say that you're satum, that you're blocked, you know, as a, as a, um, uh, like a slang reference. Right. So this is a great example, Renee, of roots whose last two letters rather than whose first two letters suggest a relationship. Because you're right, atum and satum, uh, even though one is a taf and one is a tet, right? are similar meanings. I do not think that's accidental. It might be. I don't think it is accidental. You might know that from the Parsha breaks in the Torah. There are Ptuchas, Parsha breaks that are open, and Stumot, which are closed. So Satum and Atum, Samech Tafmem, I think it's tough, yeah. And Aleph Tetmem are essentially synonymous. Exactly right. Rick? Uh, hi, I wanted to ask you about the Uncleus. Okay. Yakir Mamlal. Oh, good. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. Um, so everyone look at the Uncle Essen. Everyone have an Uncle Essen in front of them? Or should I put it up on the... I think everyone who has a thing in front of them has an Uncle Essen. I can also bring it up on the screen. If, if at least one person doesn't have it, I'll bring it up. Rebecca, you don't have it? Okay, hold on. Because I want to look at it together. Uh... And can I guess at... Uh... The yeah, but second. don't guess yet, because I want to... Um, <laughs> um, all right, hold on. Faria, Tanakh, Shmot, 6, uh, verse... What verse are we? Verse 12. Uh, translations. <laughs> We can read it in Esperanto if you'd like. Um, okay, it's not in translation. I always forget where that is. Because um, it's not commentary. I never know how to find Uncleus on here. Targum, there it is. Okay. Um, okay. This is the Uncleus, right? So. Umelel Moshe Kadam Adonai. We've seen this word before. We're going to see it a lot. Melel is the Aramaic for speak, from which we get the word mila, right? And from which you get the word limalmel in Hebrew is to mumble. It's, to, it's a wonderful onomatopoeia because it's a doubling of a symbol. You have to mumble to say mumble in Hebrew, limalmel. Okay? I learned that word from the last line of, uh, last stanza of Yehetov. And I look out my window and I mumble my prayer. Kadam Adonai, lift before God. Lememar saying, Ha, Ha is the Aramaic for Hine or behold. Vene Israel lo kabilumini. 
They did not receive from me, right? We've seen uncles do this before, translating a shin mem ayin root as kuf beit lamid. The achdein, how? Yikabel mini, how will he re receive from me, Pharaoh? After all, the ana, I am yakir mamlal. Yud kuf reish can mean a lot of things in Hebrew Aramaic. It can mean precious. Um, it can mean expensive. It can also mean uh, without the yud, like let um, right, like like yud kaf lahakir is known as. Um, it, you have it right in front of you. Yud kuf reish can also mean heavy. It can be a synonym of kaved, right? Yeah. Precious, right? So that's that's the the roots of precious. They're sort of similar, right? These are I don't think, and uh, Leonard, you can tell us that they actually appear in different entries, right? Something which is precious is something that you take seriously with gravitas, as opposed to something light that you don't care about, right? So it can mean something beloved. It can also mean something severe, and it can mean something literally heavy or clumsy. So here, Unkelish is saying aral. It's not that something is like blocked. That's the that's the foreskinned way of understanding it, but something which is just clumsy and heavy. Joel, this might be a stretch, but if Mila is speaking, <laughs> then the opposite of Mila would be Arab. Yeah, interesting. Um, are you suggesting that it might be etymologically connected? Uh, what he's saying is that if. If you can't speak, you're Arel Svatayim. If you can speak, you are doing, you are wording. So are they actually etymological opposites? I had no idea. It's really interesting. Hmm. Certainly in this verse, it seems very, it seems, seems plausible. I mean, it's not the, he, the Hebrew of the Torah is not Memlud, Memlamad, hey, but the, but it's, but that notion is a very old notion of connecting those letters to speech. Okay. Um, that was just on the first two words of the Rashi. Rebecca, you're still on. Um, and, and similarly, or thus, each, uh, each instance of Arla, I say that it is blocked or closed. Um, you wouldn't know this, but the kamatz under the ayin of orla is a kamatz katan, so it's pronounced orla. That's why you'll see it. Um, you might see have seen an Israeli product that has on the, under the hashkacha, you know, lo uh, chashash la orla, or you might see in English, no, 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 free of orla, o r l a h, meaning that this is a product that was produced in Israel, and you do not have to concert, be concerned. That it was a violation of the mitzvah of Orla, which, which we'll get to in a second. So it's written out O R L A H because the ayin is a kamatz katan. Interestingly, in the version of Rashi that I'm mostly using right here, which is an annotated, so it's like it gives a Rashi on the Rashi. He, the the editor, translates the word atum for us in Rashi's language to the Hebrew word satum, which is uh, I forgot who brought that up before. Because in modern Hebrew, we know satum with a taf more easily than we know atum with a tet, blocked off. Okay, so we can almost predict what Rashi is going to do. He's saying every usage of this root in the Torah means blockage, and it means that he's going to read verses that, he's going to basically try to convince us that 
that in all of these cases, even where you might think that Orla means something else, no, it means blocked or stopped up. Okay, and he's gonna give some examples. I'll pull them all up onto the screen one at a time. So, um, yeah, Sue. Meanwhile, I'm just, maybe I missed this, man. Maybe this is what Joel was saying, but on the uncle lesson, we're talking about Vane Akir Mamlau. And we get from Mamlau Mila, because it's mumbling, but it kind of, it sort of, does it relate to this, like, you know, in English, we're talking about circumcised and Brit Mila is circumcision. And are they? Well, that's, I think, that's what Joel was suggesting, right? And is, is, is the word, I, I always thought of them, <laughs> sew that up, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought of that as a linguistical accident, but it's fascinating to think of Mila speech as an unencumbering of a blockage, which is what Mila circumcision is. I, I don't know. Um, the Hebrew word Lamul, from which we get the word Mila to cut and Mohel, means, means to, to cut or remove. That's not the same Hebrew word as, as milah, the word from which we get the word word. Um, but way back in the origins of the language, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the possibility. Uh, Marshall, give, give that man a mic. So since Friday is Rosh Chodesh, Yes. Who right. can foretell? Right, so that's a good example of a Hebrew, not Aramaic use of the word of the root mem lamed lamed to mean speak in the Hanukkah song. Yimalel to speak, yimalmel to, um, to mumble or stutter. Not, no, not stutter, that's the gum game. Okay, um, here's the first one. This is Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah, if, you know, al-regal achat is constantly berating the Israelites for not listening, for not listening to the prophet, not, not the Israelites, the, the Jews, the Hebrews, for not listening to the prophecies of doom, that says that destruction is coming, right? So this is Jeremiah 6. Ami adabra va'aida. It's translated as to whom, as opposed to on whose behalf. The al is interesting here. Who can I speak to and give testimony to that they will possibly listen? This is the prophet crying, no one's listening to me, right? Hinei areila oznam. Their ears are areila. Rashi says, if you read into this verse, not a, not um, having to do with something being cut or not cut, but stopped up. That's the first example that you gave, right? Like earplugged. Their ears are plugged, right? So, so far, one for one. This is a good verse to show that ayin resh lamid means plugged up. Velo yuchlu la'akshiv. They're simply not able to listen because they got fingers in their ears, okay? Um, next one. Or actually, now he, he Rashi actually... Um, tells us what that phrase means in his words. Arilasva uh, Osnam. Rebecca. Arila Osnam Atuma Mishmoa. Their ears are blocked, um, closed to hearing. Good, closed to hearing. Good. Okay, next one. Let's look at it inside. Oh, Safaria wants me to give me their email. I'm not going to. Um, which is uh, also uh, Jeremiah chapter nine, um, verse twenty-five. Amitzrayim va'yehuda v'aladom, regarding uh, Egypt and Judah and Edom, al bnei Amon v'al Moav, 
uh, all the people who were living near Ammon and Moab, all those who've got um, hair cut in such a way that the Gentiles used to cut it, who dwell in the desert, all of these nations are uncircumcised, are areleel, the whole Beit Yisrael are leilev. Right, so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a really wonderful critique of the Israelites. Yeah, you cut your hair the right way, and you cut other parts of your body the right way, and all those other goyim out there are areleem in those ways. But you, Israel, your hearts are areleem. Right, so what's better? You know, do, do a from haircut, and not listen to you know the content of my of of my word. You know this is one of the wonderful places where where God through Jeremiah is saying I don't need ritual piety, and then ethical yuckiness, right? Which we could we we, we would all do well to heed even until today. Today, so that's this verse, um, uh, Rebecca. Arle lev atumim mehavin arle of heart, meaning close to understanding. Good. So we have an ear that's blocked, a heart that's blocked from understanding and compassion. Okay. And the next one, which is fun, because how often do you get Habakkuk uh, brought up on the screen? Right? Uh, anyone know what, what's the most common way in which a shul-going Jew uh, gets exposed to Habakkuk? The tires. A book? <laughs> the Haftorah for Shavuot. Uh, what's that? The Haftorah for Shavuot. I'm teaching I, a kid. Shavuot, I second day. Was get that. Haftorah, second day of Shavuot is from... Chibuk. What? Chibuk. Chibuk. Habakkuk was a hugger. Um, it comes from, the, from, from Habakkuk. Uh, it's the first Haftarah that was ever really sung in my house because my mother became an adult bat mitzvah at age 39 or 38. And it was the second day of Shavuot, and I can hear her singing those verses to this day. So let's look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk here um, is actually um, uh, addressing these words to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who eventually sacks Jerusalem. And he says, Savata kalon mi kavod. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are going to fill yourself up with shame rather than with glory. Drink up, Nebuchadnezzar, Arel. Forget Rashi and for the moment and just be a Tanakh scholar. And you're studying Habakkuk. And you come to this verse. And I don't even I don't even see the translation, right? What could that mean? A, a Jewish prophet speaking out to, to Nebuchadnezzar, chastising him, you're gonna get drunk on the bad stuff. Drink up the Arel, which is sort of like Nifal imperative and be arailed. What could it mean? What's the insult to, to Nebuchadnezzar? Knowing what you know about what the root could mean. Perhaps, perhaps because when one is intoxicated, one is going to be more outgoing, more speaking. And here he's saying that even though that would normally be a case of wine, you're going to be stopped up and you're not going to be saying anything or you interesting. To be, so you're going to drink up. instead of being loose lipped, you're going to be tight lipped. Yeah, you're going to you're going to be able to communicate not at all. Anyone else? No wrong answers here, because this is a hard verse to translate. This is the first one that Rashi is bringing where you're like, is that really what Harel means here? Anyone else? Bloated. 
So you, I see. So you're going to drink. Uh, Joel said bloated. You're going to drink up, and you're going to you're going to be full of extra, right? And you're not going to be as efficient or as powerful. I was thinking on the block line as opposed to bloated, constipated. Constipated. You're going to you're going to drink up, and you're going to be all blocked up. Okay. How does JPS translate it here? Not the way Rashi does. JPS translates it. Um, you shall be sated with shame, kalon, um, rather than glory, be kavod. Shtei gam atad, drink even you, and stagger. I don't know that, that um, I don't, I trust JPS did the research, but I don't know that use of ayin reish lamid, as if it's like drunkenness. Uh, Tova? Uh, quoting Silberman, uh, he translates it as uh, you'll be closed up to your senses. They can't hear you. I'm sorry. Your their, senses. Their will ears be are blocked. blocked. Yes. Yeah. Literally because of the intoxication. Aha. Uh -huh, good. So that's so Silberstein, Silberman, uh, is translating it that basically informed by how Rashi is using it. Remember, Rashi is using it here. It's half proof text. It's more like a reverse proof text. Sometimes Rashi goes to other places than Tanakh say, see, that proves what it means here. Here Rashi is almost doing the opposite, saying, I'm taking its meaning here and using that to describe what it means everywhere else. So all you readers who were confused as to what Habakkuk meant, it means stopped up, meaning you're going to be so drunk that nothing can penetrate you. Sue? My translation doesn't translate it. It says... It's a shtegamata veherael, and it says, "Drink thou us also veherael." It doesn't say. It just said no in Hebrew. Drink thou also veherael. Herael, yeah. So it's it. It, it just it's, says it's confused by it. Um, uh, but yeah. what I was gonna say is, if if it, it, it's all satum and all you know, it, all these things. But it's kind of be the outsider and be like, be, be of the goyim. Drink thou also, and you will never, you will be on that, um, among the oh, that's interesting. kind of unclean, unenlightened, un, nice. you know, blocked up. Just you're going to be one of that. That's You'll interesting. Become completely. Yeah. That's, that's a nice shot on Habakkuk, right? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, your destiny is you're going to drink up and you will always be oralized. Uh, Tova, and then I see Rebecca's hand. Um, I'm just striking me that these examples that Rashi is giving reflect back on the verse in the sense that he's trying to explain what the Arlat means in reference to Moshe, but the example he's giving of the people of Israel having their ears stopped up, of Nebuchadnezzar, a king, being blocked in a way. Yeah also apply to, I mean, you could go back and say, it's not just Moshe who was our lot, it was the people of Israel, it was, it was a Pharaoh, and in fact, they even used in his heart, and we know that that's going to become a major image for Pharaoh. Yeah. So it's reflecting back. That's great, Tova. Thank you for those associations. Rebecca and then Leonard. If, uh, if your ears are blocked, as somebody was was saying, uh, that might affect your balance and equilibrium, and you might stagger because of that, so it's connected. Yeah, good, good. Leonard? We, we, we don't hear you yet. Okay, there we go. All right, so according to my dictionary, 
in this particular verse here, the use of Aral, the one you just closed. The one from Habakkuk? The one from Habakkuk is actually metathesis. The word is actually ra'al, poison. So it's poisoned. And it's this is the only place in the Bible where the word has that meaning. And uh, and it's just a metathesized form of ra'al. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, interesting that JPS doesn't uh, pick up on that, because that's usually that's a very JPS-y kind of thing to, to, to pick up on. Uh, right. So, sometimes we read lots of... We read a, a lot into things that are actually mistakes, right? Um, good. Anything else on this one? Let's actually just read Rebecca how Rashi himself, read, you know, explains how this use of aral means blocked up. Shtega matave he'arel. The tame. Hey, tame. So he just once again renders the root ayin reish lamad as aleph tet mem. He does not accept the metathesis. Okay. And what way is blocked up? Me shikrut kos haklala. So drink, you know, drink you also, rail, and be impeded from the drunkenness of the cup of dishonor. Right. So, and impeded from drunkenness, meaning impeded as a result of drunkenness, right? One of you already said this, that in what way is Nebuchadnezzar prophesied to be He'arel? You're going to be so drunk that you're going to be blocked from, from understanding, from consciousness, because we will have forced you to drink the, coast, the cup of blessing. So proceed at your own risk, Nebuchadnezzar. It always feels good to like threaten a, threaten a, uh, uh, a powerful person as if you really have you know, the power to do anything, Nebuchadnezzar was actually just fine <laughs> after he sacked Israel. Okay, good. Uh, Joel, microphone. I know, I know. We, we need nine microphones in the room. It says some editions of Rashi's um, but I don't know what word is replaced with so he does use the Ra'al. Interesting. But I don't know which word. He'arel. Oh. Can I see that? That's what that's what Leonard said. How do you read this? <laughs> Is this in a, in, a, in, a, in the note? Where do you see that? Oh yeah, down here. Yeah. Right. Hitra would suggest that it's a terrible thing for Rashi to bring because then it's taking it out of the of the etymological similarity with the Arals. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Rebecca? Oh, okay. Orlat basar shehagid atum umchuse ba va'araltim. Okay, so... With, oh. so so first do that one. So now we've, we've done some of the lesser known Orlas. He finally gets to the Orla that we all know and love, as it were. Okay. So uh, Orlat of the flesh, meaning that the membrane is closed. Right. Hagi, the membrane or the member, perhaps, member. Is, is blocked, covered. Oh, and covered uh, over. Huseva, covered with it, right? So that's exactly what that procedure is. It's cutting off something which is covering over most of something, right? And so that's why this root means the same thing there. That's why to un to uncover it is to do mila and to produce a word. I'm really thinking about that, Joel. Wonderful. Okay. 
Va'araltem or lato, asu lo otem v'chisui isur shayavdil bifne achilato. Okay, so he brings an example um, from Vayikra. This is getting into Orla as an agricultural mitzvah. There are certain agricultural obligations that uh, obtain only land of Israel, but not here, like Peah and Shechacha and Maaser and Shumot. One of them is Orla. The basic shot, we have it right here, versus this is Parshat, I think, Bihar. Um, is it Bihar or is it Amor? Actually, I think it's Kadoshim. Vechitavo el Haaretz. You come to the land. And you plant a tree for, for, for eating. Very helpful. You should orla its orla, its fruit. You should verily oralize its fruit. Now the Torah tells you what that means halachically. For three years, um, they shall remain, you, these trees, arelim. Lo ye'achel, they may not be eaten. Now, unless you know a lot about this root, you can ask yourself, well, what does that mean? You should verily oral tem them, and they shall be arelim. We know that we can't eat them, but we don't know from the context inside the verse what that verse means, right? It could mean prohibited. It could mean prescribed, right? So, in, And Rosh is going to try to convince us this is related to our root. By the way, we've mentioned this before. This is also where the notion of upshoring comes from, right? That a, a, a boy is born, and for three years, you don't prune the boy's hair as if they're a tree planted in the land of Israel, and then you do a, a, an upshoring because the kid is, has been in Orla. What does Rashi, and even it's translated here as forbidden, but forbidden doesn't get as close to blocked up. So Rashi says, in what way does this verse also have to do with a, a being covered up? Go ahead, Asulo. Um, make, make for it uh, a covering or a, a cover, uh, a prohibition that will separate you from eating it. Right, so what is the covering or the blockage vis-a-vis -vis the tree? Such that this means Orla? It's like, remember the old sci-fi movies where like you could put up a, like a zone around the, around the, around the thing so you couldn't be penetrated, right? So mm -hmm. like the tree gets a layer around it that blocks you from going to it and pruning it and eating it. So it gets a foreskin, it gets an orla, and for three years it is inaccessible. According to Rashi, that's why it means that. It's not just that it's prohibited, which is a, like, a, like a, an uninteresting word. It is, um, it is in, what's that? Blocked. It is, it, is, it is protected from you, right? It gets a, like a veil around it, which you then symbolically cut at three years when you can finally get to it, right? So that's an interesting way of understanding what that mitzvah is, right? A protected zone. Let's... Uh, Let's uh, stop ourselves up right now. Let's otem ourselves uh, halfway through this Mishnah, or uh, I mean, this Rashi. We're almost done with it. Um, actually, no, I think we we're almost done with it. Uh, he, he's going to give a similar comment on another verse in Leviticus, but we'll do that next week. Marshall, microphone. Just two very quick comments. The first is Robert Alter's 
comment about Araosfatayim, where he said the idiom is clearly intended to resonate with a bridegroom of blood story in which Moses is not permitted to launch on his mission until an act of circumcision, circumcision is performed. Interesting. That's very interesting. And second, mm. totally unrelated to this, since you were reminiscing about things in the past, 59 years ago yesterday was the assassination of Kennedy. Mm. And I didn't see anything in the New York Times yesterday about it, but uh, how quickly we forget, you know, we remember 9-11, remember December 7th, 1941, yeah, you know, we, January 6th. Uh, we've become a January 6th, but we've become so, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't even know, know the word to use to use to assassinations and yeah. senseless murders. Speaking of which, we should also mention, because we're gathering to study, that there was a terror attack in Jerusalem Today. this morning in Jerusalem. Um, it's in Givat Sha'ul, two, two bus bombings. Um, and even more horrific, I suppose, that they were um, detonated remote control, so no longer as requiring a suicide mission. Um, and we've been there before, and it's terrifying. And as Pressman and the Betham is about to send 140 kids to Israel in a few weeks, um, there, there's there's always this stuff happening in the Middle East, but it's it's more immediate as we're about to send a huge delegation there. Um, so. Uh, there's there's no to-do list here otherwise otherwise other just to mention it and to ruminate on it and to um do whatever we do either in in direct or indirect ways to send blessings to our people in medina israel and um and hope that this is not the beginning of a terrible awful trend it's very it's very ptsd for those of us who literally lived through or were witness to the era of just seemingly non-stop bus bombings not a good thing Barbara, your hand is up. You get the yeah, last word. I, I just wanted to ask a question. I, I always have been told that the reason you didn't pick the fruit for three years to eat was to allow, you picked it off to let the the, the tree grow, to, to become a, 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 a grown, a proper tree, to be producing proper fruit. Right. So the Rambam would say, don't engage in ta'ameha mitzvot. Don't try to understand the rational basis for laws. They're just God's decrees. And we would say, maybe there's a rational basis to it. The problem with trying to find a rational basis for something is that then if you can find a countervailing rationale, then all of a sudden you feel less obligated to it, right? So the people, you know, I keep, you know, I observe kashud because it's it's cleaner and more ethical. What happens when kashud becomes less clean and less ethical does it mean I'm not obligated to it. So I think you're onto something that there's something about letting a tree and a person grow unimpeded a bit without too much influence. And that may or may not have been the rationale for why the Torah obligates it. Some people consider Orla to be a chuk. It's, 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 a, it's like shatnez. It's a, it's a law that has no rationality, even though it seems like it might. And we'll never know the answer. But yes, a farmer might say that's, that's good practice. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.